Volatility, uncertainty, complexity. This is the work environment that is our reality. What will leaders need to know to be successful in the future? Who will they need to be to build team member commitment? How will they need to show up to create a motivating environment for their people? Welcome to the Sal Sylvester on the Future of Leadership podcast, a dialogue about how leaders will need to adapt to be successful in a rapidly changing world. And now, please join your host and executive producer, Sal Sylvester, to engage in the conversation about the future of leadership and how to transform people into confident leaders. Hello, listeners. This is Sal Sylvester from 512 Solutions. We're an executive coaching and leadership development firm based in Boulder, Colorado, and I'm also the founder of and CEO of Coachmetrics, a cloud-based software platform that enables coaches and leadership development experts to measure behavior change in leadership and coaching. It is awesome to be with you today. And as many of you know, if you've listened to my previous podcast, we are here to explore the future of work and what that means for the future of leadership. And as our society and the world changes around us, who do leaders have to be? What do they need to do differently to be successful? That's really where my curiosity lies as an executive coach and a leadership development facilitator. And I know from coaching thousands of people globally that what leaders have done successfully in the past isn't necessarily what they need to do to be successful in the future. So I'm excited to be in a place of inquiry with you, my listeners, and my guests to explore what the future of leadership will look like. I am honored to have on the show today, Mark Samuel. He is world-renowned in the work that he does. He's the founder and CEO of Impact and an author of a number of award-winning books. His latest book is called B-State, a new roadmap for bold leadership, brave culture, and breakthrough results. And previous work from Mark includes creating the accountable organization and making yourself indispensable, the power of personal accountability. So Mark is a thought leader on accountability. He's been leading the way in this area of leadership for a long time, and he helps organizations achieve breakthrough results. He's been featured on CNBC, Bloomberg, Fortune Magazine, Fast Company. He's frequently called upon to really help organizations make transformational change. Some of his clients include Michelin, Chevron, American Express, Baxter Pharmaceuticals, Nissan. I mean, the list goes on. And What I love about this interview with Mark are some of his insights that he provides, not only on how senior leaders need to change, but how we need to engage mid-level leaders to create transformational change in our organizations. Let's go to that interview now. Mark, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm doing great, Sal. Thanks so much for inviting me. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. I'm excited, as I mentioned earlier, I've been a big fan of your work and and followed your work uh, from creating the accountable organization to making yourself indispensable. And you've been a thought leader in the field of accountability for a long time. And I'm really curious about maybe just a few headlines about how your philosophy on leadership has sort of evolved over the years and developed over the years. I think that the um, biggest switch for me that came in understanding leadership and organizations was, and it was through a lot of my work with accountability, that the real key area is middle management. Mm. And, you know, I come from the old school of everything has to move top down. And I still believe that to a large extent, but it was literally through an accident 
that I discovered the power of middle management and where the breakdown is with middle management as mm -hmm. a key function. And the breakdown is simple. Middle management is chartered with optimizing their functional area, whatever their department is. And they are kept in silos because of that. And so you never have any kind of united middle management group with the common purpose. Mm -hmm. And you might think, well, what would be the common purpose if they all have different functional areas? Well, it's really simple. The common purpose is optimizing business success, yeah. not functional success. And what's amazing is middle managers are generally so talented because they've got the technical expertise. They're running operations basically for their functional area that if we can get them united and working as a team in service to the whole organization, the culture changes immediately. The silos break down. Problem solving takes place at higher levels. Hey, it's great to do your agile. It's great to do your, you know, continuous improvement efforts on lower level processes and systems. But who's taking care of the infrastructure of the organization that impacts everybody? Nobody is. Senior management's focused more on external drivers, more on strategy, and there's no layer of people that are working together with what I'll call the most diverse critical thinking possible because you've got these different functional areas coming together led by middle managers. That's where the gold is for most organizations. They mm. can make decisions faster than upper management. They can make them with an operational eye. And as long as they're not siloed, siloed is the enemy in this case because that same middle manager literally loses both effective critical thinking and effective influence if they're only thinking in terms of their little box of a silo. Mm -hmm. They simply aren't thinking for the business. It's impossible. And you can't know about every other silo in the organization except through problem solving and decision making and bringing them involved and dealing with the issues that allow you to understand their department better. So mm. there is absolutely no question we can speed up not only culture change, but business results and get breakthrough results so much faster if we were to leverage middle management. That's why in my book, The B-State, I actually have a whole chapter on the middle management miracle because it's a miracle. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just lucky to, def to run into it by, by accident, quite honestly. Because yeah. <laughs> it was that, a, something I never believed in. <laughs> yeah, right. So you've had this aha or this insight around how the middle management is so critical to the success of these transformation efforts and, and leading culture change. So where do you start? We're going to get into B-State in a minute. But where, so what gets in the way of organizations really being able to empower and, and garner the, the support and the movement, the motivation of these middle managers to making these change? Well, there's two major dilemmas, and it's what I would call, in some respects, misunderstandings 
that have not been corrected yet in all of the leadership books and all the management books, at least that I've read. And some Mm. are starting to tune into it that are seeing the, the dilemmas of silo behavior, which is now starting to get talked about. And some books are now starting to talk about habits. But in reality, those things need to be talked about much more. And here's where the dilemma is. We have a concept of accountability that started a long time ago. And again, it's another very big misunderstanding. And the focus is on what what is called cascading accountability. It's talked about in the four disciplines of execution. It's talked about in several other books where it's all about how do you cascade accountability down the organization so that every individual has their own accountability. The problem is that it is ignoring the most critical factor to getting business results and truly having a culture of high performance, and that is horizontal accountability. Yeah. So instead of it being vertical, how do we start having accountability to each other at the same level, especially at the middle management level? So that we're now driving for common priorities. We're now driving with accountability for the coordination and communication and effective execution that needs to happen between departments, between middle managers, that's where the breakdown is. And unfortunately, cascading accountability rarely addresses that. And so you still are advocating those silos. The second issue, of course, is the fact that, you know, we're structured in silos. I mean, that's how we get things done. And, and I'm not against doing that structure. And unfortunately, when we've tried to break that down by having matrix organizations, too often what happens is we create cross-functional silos. <laughs> so we're still not working well. There's a lot of confusion around accountability and clarity and expectation with the matrix model. So even that has some major flaws in it. in in my viewpoint, around how do we get there with those middle managers. And then finally, the last thing is, we think that the best way to develop people is through management training programs. We spend millions, if not billions of dollars on training of middle managers where they go off and they go to some training program and they get more skills, get more skills and all that stuff. And and here's the problem with that. I'm not against it. I think all of that is any kind of learning we can do that builds self-awareness, that builds, you know, people getting skills to have difficult conversations and all of those things are fine. Here's what it doesn't do. It doesn't change the core habits of the organization. Right. And execution, and especially what I refer to as collective execution, the link between people to get results, the link between teams to get results is all habit-based. It is not Mm skill-based. We've developed habits that have become automatic behaviors. And the problem is, if you're gaining new skill, that's wonderful. But if you're stuck in an old habit that's automatic behavior, you're not going to apply the skill anyway. I mean, honestly, I wish that wasn't true. I'd be a lot thinner today. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't we all? I mean, I, yeah, I've learned a lot about you know eating well and exercising well. That doesn't mean I have the habit to do it. 
And problem is in an organization, you can't change individual habits. You got to change collective habits because we make decisions collectively. We plan Mm -hmm. collectively. We share information collectively. And if we don't agree on the optimal ways of doing that based on our business and based on our constraints and really do what the power of habit says and say, replace an old habit with a new habit which is exactly what we do when we get middle managers together. We say, based on your outcomes, based on your business drivers, and based on your constraints, a very key question or key factor in this is, what is the optimal way for us to make decisions in a timely way? It's going to get results. What's the optimal way for us to share information given our constraints of location, time zones, whatever it is? What's the optimal way for us to plan and coordinate with each other? Not based on style, not based on preference, not based on power play, not based on ego, based on business results. And that to me is the game we want to start playing with middle managers. And you're not going to get that in a middle management training program or any leadership development program. Mm-hmm. We've got to start doing things that put them in working sessions to change their habits, measure those, hold them accountable, and link those habits of leadership to business results and to the culture at the same time. Yeah. That's, that's the key. And it's completely missed today. I'll tell you what, though. You'd never miss it if you were a sports team, a music group dance company, anyone that has to perform live, that's all they practice. They practice their collective execution. They work out those habits. It's not just enough to know your plays. You know, football players, they know their plays. No, 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 no. If all it was was knowing their plays, they wouldn't have to practice. But they have to practice even when they're, they're already the best players and have the best skills because it's the coordination. It's the timing. It's the handoffs. That's how they win. Yes. Building on that metaphor, you're taking the best basketball player and you're having him throw, a, a, I don't know, a hundred, a thousand free throws every practice. Because right. those yes. are the habits that you're talking about that will help that person be successful, even though they're already the best in the world. Yeah. And let's go even one step further. That's when we're focused on individual habits. But guess what? A basketball team is going to practice how many times are they going to practice a fast break? And that isn't an individual. That is a group. And that's not only looking at what happens when it works. They also practice what happens when it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. How Mm -hmm. do you deal with a broken play? See, in organizations, we just want everything to go perfectly. That's just plain nonsense. Yeah. And yes, when we do project management, we have risk mitigation and all that. But but for normal day-to-day, there are, we don't put enough emphasis on recovery plans, which is, to me, the key to being accountable is having proactive recovery plans already figured out ahead of time for when things get off track on yeah. day-to-day business. Yeah. I've often thought that leadership development is, is missing a core component. It's so focused on the individual, it's often missing the collective. That's right. And, and you really need both to be successful. But I love the idea of how you're seeing middle managers differently, the silos that get created because of our organizational structure and, and other factors, and then the emphasis on this cascading accountability. Now, you talk about some of this in your book, Be State. Let's go yes. there for a while because I think part of what we're trying to do with this podcast is 
to get leaders to think differently. The way that they've been in the past doesn't necessarily enable them to be successful in the future with the complexity, the ambiguity of our workplace, our world for all those things. B-State is the name of your latest book. I think it was released in October 2018? Yes, yes. Yeah, middle of October. Yeah. Middle of October. Tell us what B-State means, and you distinguish in the book between B-State and A-State organizations. Yeah. Here's what B-State stands for. B is for breakthrough. Mm. I mean, the whole game that we've been in and had to become you know, the focus of our business is how do we help organizations that have no choice but to achieve rapid breakthrough results where they have to change their business results and they have to change their culture at the same time and they don't have years to do it. They've got months to do it. And I don't care whether it's a regulatory agency that's down their back because, you know, they need to get their standards up or they keep getting dinged and, and penalized or whether it's a business that is in such a high competitive industry that they are starting to run in the red and have to turn black within the year. Like you don't have time to turn this around. I don't care what it is. You don't have time to do the traditional approaches. Mm -hmm. And quite honestly, no organization today has time and the luxury to change over time. They've got to speed things up because competition is faster. The degree of change in technology is affecting us much faster than ever. We have political changes that change the game so quickly, at least in the United States, if not worldwide. Economic changes hit us by surprise. We've got to be able to change on a dime. And it doesn't mean doing things sloppily. And it it just means we got to try different things. So here's the essence of B-State and why we've been so successful at measuring culture change and business results within six months, sometimes three months, but I don't promise that. (laughs) Six months is what we measure and get results and a year to sustain it and really start to, you know, not only sustain it, but increase it and start to get exponential results year after year. Here's the secret. Here's the key to it. Two parts. One is A state is your current state. B state is the breakthrough state that you desire. The problem that most organizations have is they focus on all the problems that they have in A state and they want to correct those. That's the approach of continuous improvement. It's the approach of lean. Doesn't matter what it is. It's looking at what doesn't work and improving it. And now look, I'm absolutely in favor of doing that. But here's the problem with it. It will only get you to A plus state. It will Mm -hmm. only get you to a bigger and better A state. It is never going to be a game changer, which is what B state is all about. If you're going to get breakthrough results, you got to have breakthrough attitudes, you got to have a breakthrough mindset, and you got to have breakthrough behaviors. And you're just not going to get there focused on A state and trying to make it better. So what we do We do what Covey said. You start with the end in mind, except it's not just a slogan for us. We actually know how to make that happen. And we help organizations look at their external drivers, their current reality that they don't control, and say, okay, what does our picture of success need to be? Not some vision, not some mission. I love all those things. It's never going to make the change. But what you need to do is you have to look at what does our business need to look like in two years that it doesn't look like today? What is our execution going to need to look like to support that new business result 
that it doesn't look like today. Mindset and behaviors. What are those keys? And we get it very, in a sense, very descriptive, descriptive enough that we can then say, okay, what are the habits of leadership and how do we need to lead differently in the future than we do today? That we can track, we can measure, we get everybody focused on it. You may have problems today that you don't even need to solve because they won't exist in B state. And that's what we find. Instead of solving all the problems, why don't we create a new reality? We've created the reality we've got, usually not quite deliberately enough. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Now we're saying, let's create the new reality deliberately. Let's operate in that new reality and then watch how many problems actually disappear. They don't even have to get solved. They simply don't exist in that new environment. Yeah. Thanks, Mark. So that's the picture of success. You talk about that quite a bit in in B-State. In my book, Unite the Four Mindset Shifts for Senior Leaders, we make a distinction between a problem orientation that leaders often have and an yes. outcome orientation. It sounds very yes. similar, but you've very got similar. where you're going. Yes. Oh, and you said something that's so important to me. And you actually said two things in your one statement. It's how do we get leaders to be more outcome driven rather than activity driven? Yeah. That's that I learned back in the accountability days. I noticed Mm -hmm. that people were accountable for doing things. They weren't necessarily accountable for getting results. And so now we have overactivity, burnout, struggle in the workplace. When you get outcome driven, now all of a sudden it's not a about micromanaging, you don't even need to do that anymore because what you're truly monitoring are the outcomes. But here's what it takes. You got to be clear on what your outcomes are. Yeah. Not just the measurement. Measurement doesn't tell you what it is. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. what are all the factors that are going to get you the measurement. And that's what leaders need to be much clearer about. What are my expectations that are going to ensure getting those results? And we got to be managing to execution instead of managing to metrics. Metrics are too slow, too late in the game, because every measurement you get is a result of execution. If the breakdown is happening in execution, by the time I get the measurement, you've already executed. So, Mark, this is important. It's almost like a leading versus lagging indicator in some way. Yes, it is. Yeah. Can you give us an example or a distinction? Like what's the metric that maybe traditional A state organizations would be measuring versus something that's more execution and expectation or outcome driven? Yeah. So let me be really clear on this. It's not that you don't have metrics in the B state. You do. You've got tons of metrics. Every metric that you have in A state is in B state. Hopefully yeah. the ones that are meaningful, not just a bunch of metrics that you can't do anything with. But metrics that are meaningful are absolutely critical. And, and, and so I want to be clear, we're always working towards those metrics. But the thing that we do besides knowing what the metric is, is what's the optimal collective execution that's going to mm-hmm. generate that metric, including everything from how we share information, how we plan, how we surface and solve problems, how we make decisions. If we don't have that down, you can have the metric and you might even have a good plan in place, good processes in place. But then when people don't coordinate with each other, when a problem gets hidden because we don't want to get blamed for causing a problem. So now we hide it and it has a ripple effect in the organization. When we don't 
anticipate a breakdown and so we're caught off guard and it's now a crisis, those are all the things that prevent us from getting those outcomes. I'd rather know, I'd rather be tracking how well we're sharing information, how well we're making decisions and how well we're solving, surfacing and solving problems quickly. That's going to lead to much better outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to talk, you mentioned the book Team Habits. Before I go there, there's something else that really stood out to me. I've always thought that there's this tension between operating from a place of comfort and operating from a deeper place of purpose. And it's hard to really step into your potential as a person, as a team, as an organization, and be comfortable at the same time. You talk about what happens with comfort and how organizations spend way too much time making their people comfortable. Say more about that. Well, to me, it's one of the big diseases of companies today Mm -hmm. is we want people to feel comfortable. And the problem with feeling comfortable is that being comfortable is generally a non-change state. Like when you're comfortable, I don't want to change it. If I'm comfortable in bed, I don't want to get out of bed. (laughs) If I'm comfortable in my job, why would I want to do anything different in my job? Mm-hmm. And so the problem is that in reality, we don't want people to be comfortable. What we want people to be is safe to yeah. create, to take the risks of change. Because mm-hmm. like it or not, organizations are evolving. They have to evolve as our external environment evolves. There's no getting around it. But here's the good news. People want to evolve. We are all evolutionary human beings. And the problem is that when we were younger, we loved change. We would pretend at change. We would play. We we had no problem playing bigger than we were. We wanted to be the adult when we were five years old, you know, and make decisions and play like we were shopping and doing whatever it is that we were doing, whether star athlete, didn't matter. We were always wanting to change. We wanted to learn how to ride bikes. We wanted to learn how to, you know, learn the alphabet, learn math, whatever it was. Now, here's the problem. As we get older, all of a sudden, we get compared to others. Mm -hmm. We get judged by being not good enough. And so all of a sudden, the desire to learn and the desire to grow stalls, becomes paralyzed. And in reality, kids, when they're young, they don't care whether they learn it and get it right the first time. They learn it, make a mistake, try it again, learn it, make a mistake, try it again. It really doesn't matter. They do it until they get it. Unfortunately, as adults, we're much more fragile. And so we need to create a a work environment that has psychological safety and gives people the opportunity to make mistakes, to reward learning, not just reward wins from learning, reward learning. Really hire those people that are dedicated to being lifelong students rather than having to be the experts. Stop trying to make people prove themselves in the organization by the results they get. Let's start having people prove to the organization that they are learners, growers, risk takers for the, you know, intelligent risk takers for the good of the organization. Because we as individuals need to evolve, organizations need to evolve, and we can't afford status quo. And when you emphasize the comfort zone, you're emphasizing status quo. Yeah. You know, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. When we do assessments, 
us climate surveys, all those kinds of assessments are usually done based on the past. How do you feel today compared to how you felt yesterday or last yeah. year? Right. We don't do assessments that way. We define your B state and say, where are you today compared to where you want to be a year from now? Now, you may have proved a ton from last year, and yes, you get credit for that. But at the end of the day, we want you always assessing yourself to where you're going, not to where you've been. That's a whole nother mindset change that gets breakthrough results rather than just continuous improvement results. It's a great point. You can't do anything about the past, but you can you change your future, right? Yes. So, yeah. yeah. So why do we keep assessing it? <laughs> we keep assessing based on the past versus that picture of success and, and where we're going. And that psychological safety is so key. And I really want our listeners to hear that distinction between making people comfortable and creating an environment of safety. And it's the leader's role to create that psychological safety. Now, yes. what are one or two practical steps that leaders of the future should start doing to create that safe environment so people can make mistakes, offer help, ask for help, all those things that are very vulnerable that are required in that place of safety. Yeah, I think there's three basic things that, that we could be doing. The first thing is we've got to create our own learning environment within every team, within every group, within mm -hmm. a manager to, to employ. Like, Instead of holding people accountable with the idea of punishing them, let's hold people accountable with the idea of teaching them, having them learn with the expectation that they do learn. Like that's the one criteria. I will not hire anybody into my organization if they are not dedicated to their own growth and learning as a mm -hmm. student. I don't mm -hmm. care whether you're the top person in the field. Right. I will not hire you unless you're a student becoming better. Yeah, because otherwise you've plateaued. So it really begins there with what kind of culture you set up that way and atmosphere you set up. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is we have to stop pretending that things are always going to go perfectly and have many more conversations about proactive recovery. So that, right. look, here's what happens. We plan something to go perfectly. It breaks down and then we find out who to blame. Right. And now you got the blame game going and no one's safe there and no one's comfortable there. It's a lose-lose. So what we are doing with groups is saying, no, let's anticipate what might go wrong for whatever reason, judgment calls, bad decisions, whatever it is, not, not the typical, again, project type of breakdowns, but just simply yeah. functioning breakdowns and say, how do we back each other up? What are we going to do if that happens? How do we let people know as, as soon as possible rather than hiding it, hoping no one finds out? You know, <laughs> it's like, let's start practicing recovery. By the way, it's exactly what baseball teams do. It's exactly what football teams do. It's, you know, basketball teams do. When you get a broken play, that's already rehearsed. If you go to a theater and you're watching them perform live, I can tell you they've got recovery plans for their props. They have recovery plans for, for getting lines. They've got recovery plans for anything that might happen. They've already worked out what's going to happen in front of the audience so the audience doesn't know because they have to. So in organizations, we have to think more in terms of recovery. The third thing we have to do is as managers and leaders, we have to start getting more vulnerable to admit when we've made a mistake. Mm -hmm. If you're the perfect manager, then everyone else is going to emulate you. If you can't get anything wrong because you're always blaming everybody else for the problems and you don't admit when you're at fault, when you made a bad call, when you didn't 
develop someone well enough, when you didn't prepare them to be successful because you were going too fast, if you don't admit that, where's the safety for anyone else to? So I'm always saying to managers, you got to be the first ones and invite people to talk about their mistakes. And then let's, let's use that as a learning ground for each other. And then finally, it's giving employees a voice. Like we talk about engagement, but how are we engaging people to truly identify how can we make things better here? Not for your personal gain, but for the focus of the business, for the focus of our execution. Instead of being threatened by that as managers, we need to embrace that. And do I really want to develop somebody who's going to be better than me? I mean, that's my job as a leader. How do I develop someone to take my position and even go beyond me that maybe I end up reporting to because I find their true gifts have something that is so special. I want to nurture it, even if it means they rise in the organization beyond me. Like Mm -hmm. that takes courage. And humility. And humility. And that to me is key for having an organization that's safe to take the risks of change that are going to create breakthrough results, not just Mm -hmm. mediocre Mm -hmm. results. And, you know, an inch by inch improvement when we could be moving a yard and with less effort. Right. Because we're all aligned. Yeah. We could spend an hour on every one of those four things that you talked about. A couple of things I want to highlight because this is so key. What, what I see leaders often doing, the, the first point that you made, the accountability, it's tied to punishment or it's tied. You often hear people say critical feedback. And when something is critical, people are just, they get defensive. The, the finger pointing that you mentioned. Perfectionism is about the worst standard that an organization can have because you just end up beating yourself up and others up. Versus having that recovery plan. Stop focusing on perfections, focus on recovery, focus on learning. And then the vulnerability piece and and giving people a voice. At the end of the day, people want to feel valued in organizations. And if they don't feel like they have a voice, it's going to be very difficult for them to be part of whatever transformation effort that you're creating. Yes. And if you haven't prepared them to have a voice, just giving them a voice without preparing them to have a voice is just as bad because they don't have then the mindset of B state. Where are we going? It's not a voice to be comfortable and say, oh, I want things changed because this is going to make my job better. No, it's how can we make changes that, yes, is going to help improve the organization and make my job better. It's like we have to prepare people for critical thinking. We have to prepare people to think in terms of the customer and what's going to be best for the customer, not just what's best for you. And that's a mindset. Those are the behaviors and those are skills, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, it, yeah, it's all through. I was going to ask you, how do you get people prepared? But it's, it is all three of those things. If their thinking doesn't change, it doesn't matter how much you work on the skills, they're not going to change. But there's also a skills component to it. How can I be assertive enough so that I can speak up? And how do I recognize that our environment's different? What we're expecting is different. So it's the mindset, it's the skill set to get people prepared for that change. Yes. And unfortunately, there's this huge movement again. Let's start change from the bottom up. You've got holacracy and all these other things. But watch those organizations carefully. And where they falter is they don't include middle management. And now there's a struggle between middle management and employees that starts to break down. You know, I I love the fact that we involve people at all levels, but here's where the breakdown comes. Someone's got to be looking into the future 
It's yeah. not just about solving and making things better at an operational level. It's also where are we going in the future? How do we need to change? Perfecting how we work on a typewriter will never get us to work on a computer. Yeah. <laughs> it's an old analogy, but we're dealing with that all the time. <laughs> right. Is it a parallel process? Do you work with senior leaders first? Do you work with middle management first? Is there an order that you found better results when you're helping organizations make this change? Yeah, if I had to talk about ideally, I always yeah. love to work with senior management first because they're the ones who set direction. And right. too many of them are being more operational and micromanaging rather than staying on focus on what's the direction, what's the strategy, and what are the key priorities. Mm -hmm. And how do we set up ourselves to not create silos by the way we even delegate or set up the key leaders for those projects that are our key initiatives. Because again, once we delegate it out, how often are we delegating into silos and now don't have the cross-functional input? So I like to work with the senior leaders to start to get them to think differently about their role and prepare the space for middle managers to come up so that they actually become See, and that's the thing. It's about what's the role of middle management. I hold them accountable for operational excellence and culture. Mm -hmm. They are the ones that have to drive both. You yeah. can't get operational excellence and ignore the people, but you can't do everything for the people and ignore operational excellence. And that's the role that binds all middle managers together. Like, organizational operational excellence, not operational excellence of your functional area. Yes, you have to optimize your function, but only in concert with the whole organization. And sometimes you might have to sub-optimize your functional area to provide enough resources to support the organization's biggest challenges that need to get fixed or biggest changes that need to get made. So we have to cooperate and work together cross-functionally to make that happen. But I generally start with upper management, but the real effort is with the middle management. Mm -hmm. So we have a f maybe five or six minutes left. Before we wrap up, we have to talk about team habits. It's what we started, yes. you know, we alluded to at the beginning. Tell me more about what kind of habits do you put in place? How do you measure those habits? So we've got collective execution here. Whether you're talking about a senior leadership team or a middle management team, it's, it's identifying what are those key factors of execution yeah. that keep shooting us in the foot because mm -hmm. we're not on the same page. And no amount of skill building solves it. No amount of styles inventories is ever going to solve that because yeah. it's the one time that we have to be outcome driven, not style driven. So, let me give you an example of one. I'll give you one that's actually, for anyone that's out there listening, this is probably the most, and I never thought this to be true. It's only through seeing it done so many times. One of the key habits that often gets ignored, and it's a, for a leadership team, either senior or middle management, is speaking with one voice. Mm. How are we speaking with one voice yeah. down the organization, up the organization, or outside to others? And it's really creating what are the set of behaviors and competencies yes. that we need to have to do that. And here's the thing. People emphasize competencies. Competencies do not get you high, the highest performing organization because you can have a competency and not use it effectively. What a habit is, 
what different competencies you use in an effective way to produce the result that the habit's trying to accomplish. Yeah. So let me give you an example. I'll do it really quickly. Right. Communicating with one voice to others outside the team. We mm-hmm. strategize how to elicit the most positive response from the information we're sharing. The context of information determines the communication approach and delivery. So we're deciding how we're going to communicate. We communicate information effectively and relatively at the same time and date so that you don't have people talking it. Some people mention it, some people not, and now all of a sudden you got mixed messages. We use scripting and message points, talking points, so that we're all on the same page delivering the same message. But here's Mm -hmm. the key one. We have recovery plans in place in case there are breakdowns and we anticipate questions and possible resistance and prepare an aligned response. Yeah. So before we even message, what are the things we're going to get back from people? How do we want to respond to that so that person A on the team is not saying something different than person B? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden now you look like you don't know what you're talking about. And then the team also gets together afterwards to see how do we need to change or modify the message based on actual reaction. Yeah. Now, to me, that's a process of behaviors that is a habit yep. of execution for communicating outside with a unified voice. Yeah. That's uh, so helpful. I'm hearing some intentionality there, some structure there. People yes. are saying, line message across the organization, probably engaging people in dialogue. So then not only is that one voice getting shared, but then people then feel like they've got a voice to sort of loop that back. Yes. And how are we listening to feedback? Absolutely. Once it's a habit, you can measure it. How well are we doing at that today? Well, today we don't do it at all. Well, now we're doing it about half the time. Gee, now it's becoming almost a cultural norm, 75%. Now there isn't a decision that's ever made that we don't have a strategy for communication. That's how you measure it. And just watch both the morale go up, watch your business results go up at the same time. Mark, this has been incredibly insightful. I mean, we've just scratched the surface of all of the resources inside of B-State. Tell us how our listeners can get a hold of the book and maybe where there's some other resources on your website. Yeah, please. You can first go to our website, bstate.com. We put in lots of articles, case studies. It's more of a learning site as well as a talking about site. We have videos on there where I'm describing B-State and all of that. So it's really good. But also, you can find our book there. And it's real easy to get our book, B-State, A New Roadmap for Bold Leadership, Brave Culture, and Breakthrough Results. You can get that on Amazon. If you have a large quantity of books that you want to purchase, I suggest going to 800-CEO-READ for that. You can find it on our website, and it will link you right over to Amazon. It'll link you over to Barnes & Noble. They're carrying the book. You can see it at Hudson, at some of the airports. And, of course, for large quantities, go to 800-CEO-READ. And all of that is available on our website. So go to bstate.com. It's really the easiest website in the world. I love the fact we were able to get that one, bstate.com. Thanks, Mark. And we'll put those websites into our session notes so people can download this as well. 
Mark, thank you so much for being with me today. And I look forward to uh, hearing about all of your success and how you're transforming people and organizations. Well, thank you so much, Sal. It was great having you ask me such good questions, really pick out the salient points. Really excellent. Thank you for that. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Sal Sylvester on the Future of Leadership podcast. You can get session notes on our website at 512solutions.com. That's the numbers 512solutions.com. Please follow and like the podcast on iTunes or wherever you're tuning in. And if you want to learn more about how we can help transform your people into confident and action-oriented leaders, please check out our website at 512solutions.com. I look forward to continuing the conversation about the future of leadership. I'm out.